number 15. Mark chapter number 15. If you need a Bible, we do have them there in the pews. And uh, the seat's there. You can grab one of those. Or you can look to the screen. We'll have the words on the screen as well. Mark chapter number 15 is where we're going to be this morning. And uh, we'll keep our kiddos in here this morning. One more week. Next week, they will go back to having their class. And so looking forward to them being able to jump back into uh, the kids' class starting next week. But for day, today, they get to hang out in here, and if they need a coloring page to color, they can sure grab one. We've got some on the back table back there, and uh, the kids can, uh, can make sure and fill those out, color those. And then at the end of the service today, if they'll see me in the back, we'll have a special treat for them. And so make sure that, uh, kids, you do a good job listening, filling those out as best as you can, drawing the pictures and things on there. And uh, we'll have a, a good, good surprise for you afterwards. For all of the adults, Mark chapter number 15. I was looking yesterday, and uh, I believe today... Today's message is message number, I think it's number 60 or 61 uh, in the book of Mark. So we've been in Mark for quite some time, uh, working verse by verse through the book of Mark, preaching the Bible within its context and what the Lord, Word of God has for us. And uh, we're just going to continue on. Now, with that being said, we only have a couple more weeks in the book of Mark. We're going to be wrapping up chapter number 15, going into chapter number 16 next week, and then we'll wrap up, Lord willing, chapter number 16 the week after that. So just a couple of more weeks in the book of Mark, as uh, we've been spending such a great deal of time there. And so in the next couple of weeks, we'll be announcing the next book that we'll be diving into in the Word of God. I'm looking forward to that. But for today, we're going to be in Mark chapter number 15. And just a moment, we're going to begin looking down in verse number 15 and uh, going from there. But before we do, let's pray. We'll ask for the Lord's help, and then we will dive into the Scriptures this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity that you give us to be able to open your word this morning, to be able to hear from you. Thank you, God, for being a God that speaks to us from your word. And I pray, the Lord, for each person that's here, that you'd help us, Lord, to be able to uh, calm our thoughts and our minds for just a few moments. And from the youngest child to the oldest adult, Lord, may we be able to bring our thoughts into captivity for a few moments and hear from you. And God, I look forward to diving into this passage of Scripture, Lord, as we look at Christ's sacrifice for us and what he went through. I pray, God, that um, it would be fresh, it would be uh, new in our minds this morning, that we would see it, God, with, with fresh eyes. And Father, I pray that you would help me, God, to speak only what you want me to speak. I pray that you touch my voice. Even now, Lord, you know that I've struggled with it just a little bit. I pray, God, that you'd help me to have the strength to be able to preach this message. And God, that you'd help me uh, to preach it with power. I've already asked you, Lord, to fill me. And I ask, Lord, now, God, that you would do just that. And you'd speak through me. Give me the words that you desire for me to say. God, that each person that's here, Father, would be able to hear from you. I thank you, God, for the power that's in your word. And I pray, God, that it would be magnified this morning. Thank you for each person that's here. Pray, God, that if somebody here or watching online doesn't know you as their Savior, that today as we look at that cross, God, that they would come to that point of realizing their need to accept you. Now, Lord, we look forward to what you're going to do. And God, we give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory for what what it is that you're going to do. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we come to verse number 15 of Mark chapter number 15, the final judgment had been given by Pilate. We saw that last week, that he had finally made that decision. He had bowed to the will of the people, and he had said, all right, Jesus is going to be delivered to be crucified. Jesus' crucifixion, while approved by Pilate, 
was not determined by him. It wasn't even determined by the Jews who desired to end Christ's life. And in fact, all the way back in the Messianic Psalm, one of the Messianic Psalms in Psalm chapter number 20, the Bible says this, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaw and thou hast brought me into the dust of the earth he says for the dogs have compassed me the assembly of the wicked enclose me they pierce my hands and my feet i may tell my bones they look and stare upon me they parted my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture all the way back in the book of psalms this was prophesied of of how jesus was going to die the punishment of christ had already uh, been in, that he had already endured and would suffer this day uh, was not dreamed up by by pharaoh it wasn't dreamed up by the romans it was prophesied of in isaiah 53 The Bible says this in Isaiah 53, verse 3, He is despised, rejected of man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and was hid as it were, and and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and, and esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. You know, oftentimes when we think about the crucifixion and and the verses that we're going to look at today, we spend a great deal of time talking about the way that it took place and the way that he was crucified. We we talk about the details of what took place. But as we're going to see in the book of Mark and really in all of the, the Gospels, there really isn't a great amount of detail that is given to us. There isn't a great amount of time spent on the way that Jesus was crucified. No, the Bible, rather than spending a great deal of time on the way that Jesus was crucified, it spends a great deal of time talking about the why that Jesus was crucified. The Bible tells us, just simply, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It's very simple. I mean, in that verse is the entire crucifixion story. In that verse is everything that took place to to Christ. All the suffering that he endured. And while we don't want to take away from the the way that he was crucified and the way that he suffered and the way that he was uh, tormented on this day, we don't want to take away from that. Friend, don't lose sight of the why that Jesus did this. He did it so that he could pay for your sins and for my sins. As we look at his suffering this morning, as we walk down that Via Del Rosa, that way of suffering with Christ, don't forget why he is doing it. Romans 5.8 tells us, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He gave himself. 
As we look at verse number 15 and chapter number 15, we see really already Jesus has been beaten. We saw just a couple weeks ago by the, the high priests and by the scribes as they came and as they punched him and told him, hey, listen, I covered his face and they punched him. Hey, prophesy, who was it that hit you? And now he's come in verse number 15. And Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them, delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. Once again, uh, not a great deal of time is spent describing the pain and the suffering that Jesus would face. In, in just a couple of words, we, we, Mark sums up for us what took place. He was scourged, the Bible says. The scourging was an event that would have taken place, done and carried out by a Roman soldier with, with a whip that we know as as the cat of nine tails, what we have so affectionately come to, to call it. Each leg of that whip would have weaved through it pieces of, 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 of all kinds of, of elements that would cause the maximum destruction. Pieces of metal and, and bones and fragments that were used to cause trauma to the skin, to the muscles, to the organs of whatever it made contact with. The men would swing these whips with such force as soldiers that were specifically trained in exactly how to use this tool to, to inflict the maximum amount of damage. The condemned person would be stretched out either from maybe a, a pole that would be overhead or, or they would be suspended over a post that would ensure that their back would be stretched tight and completely exposed. Those two men, one on either side, would take that whip. And as they would take it, they'd whip it across the back and of the person that was being beaten, the person that was being scourged and flogged. And, and as they would whip it, the, those, those tines, those, those leaves of that, that cat of nine tails would stretch around the back and around to the front of the body. And, and then those soldiers with, with immense strength and power would take it and they'd rip it back, and tearing away the flesh of that person that they were doing it too. We have already heard the destruction in that messianic psalm in Psalm 22. As the Bible says, I may tell all my bones they look and stare upon me. It was absolutely unthinkable. In fact, many, most people would never even make it to the cross because of the extreme trauma of that whipping post. The Jews had a law that you were only allowed to be flogged 40, 40, 39 times, and that was the max that you were allowed to be beaten, but the Romans had no such law. And so as these Roman guards took that whip and as they scourged Jesus, we don't know how many times it took place, but what we do know is when it was done, his body no longer looked like a body at all. This hump of flesh that was there, that was left, that was it. The Bible just simply says, it scourged him. It goes on in verse number 16 through 20, we find that Jesus was humiliated and he was mocked. The Bible says in verse 16, and the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole band, and they clothed him with purple, plaited a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! 
They smote him on the head with a reed and just spit upon him and bowing their knees worshipped him. When they had mocked him, they took off the purple rope from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. Jesus was led into that governor's hall where they got the whole band together, the Bible says. Now, it's not talking about a band of musicians like we would call it today. When it talks about a band, it's talking about a group of Roman soldiers. The Roman soldiers, it, it literally means that it could have been up to 600 of these soldiers that came together for this opportunity to beat this man. Now, we know that the Romans had an intense racial hatred of the Jews. They despised them. They, they viewed the Jews as less than human. And now they were being given an opportunity to take their hatred out on one of these Jewish people, one of these Jewish men named Jesus, an opportunity that maybe didn't come around every day. So they take that purple robe and they put it on that body that was so torn that no longer even resembled a body. And, and then they fashioned that crown of thorns. Thorns that we, we know from, from over in that Middle East there in Israel that, that could have been anywhere from two to three inches in length. And they fashioned it into a crown and placed it on his head. And then the Bible tells us they took a reed that, that resembled a broomstick. And they would take that and they would beat that, that, those thorns down into the skull of Jesus. Then they mocked him. Kneeling before him, the Bible tells us that they begin to cry out, Hail, King of the Jews! Hail, King of the Jews! You can almost hear them. 600 men coming together, and one by one coming by, and uh, kind of laughing and cackling as they say, <laughs> Yeah, okay, yeah, you're the King of the Jews, right? Oh, hail to you! Bowing the knee before them, the Bible says, mocking him. And then they began to spit on his face. Six hundred Roman soldiers spitting in the face of Jesus. This last week, I, I saw a video of a guy. We'll call him a preacher. I don't know that he was, but he he was doing an illustration. He was talking about Christ, and uh, he was talking about being spat on, and and he was giving an illustration. And so he he had one of his guys come up there that was standing there. And he began to talk about how they spit on his face and how humiliating it was. And he literally, he spit in his hand, I mean, a couple of times. And then he began to take it and to begin to wipe it on this guy's face. And it was such an incredible visual that I thought we would try it this morning. So Isaac, if you'd, no, I'm just kidding, okay. <laughs> I mean, it was just absolutely, I mean, I, I showed, I watched, I said, I can't believe this is happening. I showed Tressa, she couldn't even watch that. That is disgusting. Listen, I can't even imagine 600 men spitting in the bloody face of Jesus. And then they begin to punch him in the face. These Roman soldiers coming over with fist clench, beating him. He didn't even resemble a man anymore. The Bible tells us that once they had done all that they could, they, the idea in verse number 20, it says, and when they had mocked him, it, it, it kind of has the idea that they, they did everything that they could think of to mock him. 
They, they, I mean, everything that they could come up with, they, they did it, and, and they couldn't think of anything else. And so at that point, they took that purple robe that they had put on him in mockery and ripped it off of that body that was now beginning to, the blood beginning to dry onto that, that robe. They ripped it off of him, exposing those wounds fresh again, the blood beginning to pour off again, and they put his own clothes back on him and led him away to be crucified. As we come to verse number 21, the Bible says, and they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who's, who passed by, com- coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. It was customary for the person that was being crucified to cr- carry their own cross down, as we mentioned, that Via del, de la Rosa, as they would carry it down that, that way of suffering up to Gagatha, the place where they would be crucified. Now, it's not as so many times in the movies and things that we see. It wasn't the full cross and the, the main beam, but rather more likely just the cross beam of the cross that they would carry. The weight would be too immense for the entire thing, but still the, the single cross beam would be so immense in and of itself. And Jesus now beaten and bloody to the point that he had no strength really remaining in him, couldn't carry, fell under the weight of that, that being. The Bible tells us that they summoned this guy, Simon, to come over and help carry Jesus' cross. In other situations, they may have just left him there to die there on the street. But they wanted to make a public example of Jesus. They wanted to go full-fledged with, with the beating and the suffering and the torment that they were causing him. They, they didn't want to leave anything on the table. And so what did they do? They had somebody come along. Come on, come on. Hey, help him carry that up there. We, he needs to get all the way up there. And, and so Simon comes along and grabs that cross and helps him to carry that cross all the way up the hill to Calvary. That splintery cross on the torn back of Jesus. Verse number 22 says, And they bring him into a place, Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of the skull. We, we don't know for sure. There's a place there in Israel that resembles a skull. You can see pictures of it. They believe it, it's very possible that that was the hill that he was crucified on. They said that it, it could be possible. It could have been another hill that just was full of so many skulls of those that had been crucified. They, they're not sure, but we know that that's where Jesus was, was led to, to Golgotha, the Bible says. Now, as he was making his way there in verse number 23, they gave him a drink, wine mingled with myrrh. But he received it not. Somebody from the crowd most likely can't imagine the Roman soldiers offering this to him, offering any type of relief. They were there to torment him, not to relieve him. So you can almost see maybe somebody in the crowd uh, just uh, in, a, in an act of, 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 of mercy to Jesus taking this drink, this only form of medication that maybe they could give him that could relieve just a little bit of that suffering, a little bit of that pain, could numb it just a little bit, offering it to Jesus. Jesus and Jesus rejecting it. No. Because Jesus wanted to feel every step. Jesus wanted to know 
the pain of that cross. He wanted to experience every single drop of blood that fell from Him. Jesus did not numb Himself from the pain and the suffering on that day. He, he felt every painful step, every single one on the way to Golgotha. When He were, reached verse number 24 and He reached the hill. The Bible says that when they crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon him that every man should take. And it was the third hour and they crucified him. Here, they finally get him there and they strip him of his clothes. And kind of in one, almost a last act of humiliating him, they, they take his clothes and they begin to gamble upon it like it's nothing. Tearing it in shreds and giving pieces away to those that gamble on his clothes. And then the Bible tells us that at 9 o'clock in the morning, we know according to the Jewish time, the third hour of the day was 9 a.m. Jesus was taken, and as we already have mentioned, Mark doesn't go into great detail. It just simply says, they crucified him. But you can see Jesus there on that hill, and we've talked about it before. Nobody had to hold Jesus down. In that, that moment there, no doubt probably the Roman guards would gather around the person that was about to be crucified, because surely this would be the last-ditch effort to escape. Every last bit of strength that that person could muster up, they would muster for that moment to try to fight their way away before being crucified. And so you can see the Roman guards gathering together ready to grab this man and hold him down. But Jesus needed no one to hold him down. The Bible tells us he laid down his life for us. Jesus stretched out his arms on that cross. He didn't resist. He didn't fight as they drove the nails through his hands and through his feet. They crucified him. It was customary that they would hang a sign above the person that was crucified that would say what it was that they were crucified for, the crime that they had committed. And so in verse number 26, we find the sign that was written above and, and, and pinned above the head of Jesus. It says this, and the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. You know, it's almost as if Pilate in one final jab at the Jews looked and we know in other scriptures that the Jews came to Pilate and said, no, 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 write that he has said that he's the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, no, 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 he's the king of the Jews. I mean, just one final jab there at the Jewish people. One final moment. We know that the Bible tells us that Pilate didn't, even, didn't believe that Jesus was actually guilty. In a crime, the only crime that Jesus could be convicted of was the crime that he was truly the king of the Jews. 9 a.m., Jesus is hanging there on the cross. In verse number 27, it says, And with him they crucified two thieves, one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, saith, he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by 
railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, that thou destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days. Save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also said the chief priest, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. They that were crucified with him reviled him. As Jesus hung there on the cross between two criminals, probably two of Barabbas' insurrectionist friends, the crowd begins to walk by and to mock him. We've talked before, but when Jesus was crucified, it's very possible that maybe he was crucified high up in the air for all to see. But it's more likely what we have learned from history that many times the crosses were not suspended high in the air. Rather, they were a little higher than, than eyesight. So that those that would walk by would be able to look into the eyes of the person that was being crucified. They would be able to see the sweat running down their face. They'd be able to hear them as they labored in their breathing. Now Jesus, as he's crucified, we have these groups of people walking by, the chief priests walking by, looking Jesus almost eye to eye, saying, Oh yeah, you're the king, right? Yeah, you think you can say, you said you could tear down the temple, build it again in three days. Go ahead, try to save yourself. Mocking him. Making fun of him. But the culmination of this this mocking took place in that Satan, verse number 32, when they said, let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. For three and a half years, Jesus had done miracle after miracle after miracle. For three and a half years, they had watched Jesus heal the sick. They had watched Jesus feed the multitudes. They had watched Jesus give sight to the blind, uh, give, give uh, the ability to walk to the lame. Uh, they had seen Jesus give hearing to the deaf. They had seen Jesus raise the dead to life again. They had seen miracle after miracle after miracle. And now here at the end... They look at Jesus and say, show us a miracle, and then we'll believe. Times haven't changed much. Just like in the day of Christ, people still stand by and say, show us a miracle, and then we'll believe. If Christ would just do this, if God would just do this, then I would believe in Him. There have always been those that would say, if this would just happen, then I would believe. But the answer to them is the same that it was to those on Christ's day. If you don't believe what he's already done, it doesn't matter what else he could do. Come on, prove it. Prove that you are the God. Prove that you are who you said you are. Just just show us a miracle. After all that Jesus had done. As we come to verse number 33, we see really the end, the climax. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Don't forget here that the 
The Bible tells us that this is taking place during the Passover feast. What was the Passover feast? It was remembering Israel's delivery from Egypt. And don't forget what that ninth plague was there when they were in Egypt. Darkness that covered the land. Darkness that could be felt. And that darkness preceded that tenth plague. The death of the firstborn. And here on this day, darkness covers the land. Before the only begotten Son of God would give his life. From noon until three o'clock, there is darkness. And after three hours of Christ hanging there on that cross, in that darkness, the Bible tells us in verse number 34 that at the ninth hour, 3 p.m., Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The Bible tells us the people nearby didn't understand what he was saying, what he was talking about. In verse 35, it says, And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. They thought he was praying for Elijah Elijah of the Old Testament to come and to rescue him. But in that moment, no, no, no. Jesus was not crying out to Elijah of the Old Testament. He was crying out to his Father, his God. God, why? Why have you forsaken me? You see, in that moment, the sin of the entire world, your sin... And my sin was placed upon him. It was poured out on Jesus. In that moment, the suffering of that day, everything that he had gone through paled in comparison of that moment. It could only be trumped by the suffering of that moment as the sin of the whole world was placed squarely upon Christ. And for the first time in all of eternity... God could not look at His Son. For the first time, Jesus was all alone as He suffered and as He hung there on that cross. Mark doesn't record the the final words of Jesus for us. Only that he cried out in verse number 37. It says, And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. But we know from the other gospel that Jesus' final words were words of victory and triumph. Jesus cried out, It is finished. The perfect Lamb of God, the one who knew no sin, The one that had never done wrong. The one that had never had a wrong thought. The one that had never said a wrong thing. The one that had never questioned God. The one that was absolute perfection. Took your sin and my sin upon himself. And he cried out, it is finished. Why? Because he was paying the payment for your sin and my sin. The Bible says that the wages of our sin 
is death. And as he cried out on that cross, it is finished. What was he saying? It was satisfied. That payment is paid for. That payment is completed. It is finished. And then he gave up the ghost. In verse number 38, the Bible tells us that the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. You say, what is the significance of that? Well, this this veil was a fabric that was anywhere from two to three inches thick. And it did not tear from the bottom to the top. It tore from the top to the bottom. That veil was the veil that separated man from the presence of God. The only one that could enter into the Holy of Holies was the priest. In fact, in the Old Testament, we know that the priest, part of his garment was that he was to have bells on his feet, on his shoes. Before he would enter in, they would tie a rope around him and he would go through that veil. And if he had not confessed his sin, if he had not dealt with his sin... When he entered into the presence of God, he would be struck dead immediately. And they would listen for those bells to stop moving. And if the bell stopped moving, they would pull that rope back out. Because it was a sign that the person had entered the presence of God with sin. But now the Bible tells us that God reached down his hand from heaven and he tore that veil in two. No longer... Did man have to be separated from God? Why? Because we have a high priest that died for us. A high priest that took care of our sin for us. Hebrews chapter number 4, 14 says, Seeing then we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold our, our, fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. So let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why can we come to Christ now? Because that veil has been torn in two. Because when you come to God through Christ, He has taken care of your sin for you. Listen friend, that's why we don't have to go to some man. That's why we don't have to come to some priest. That's why you don't have to come to to some preacher and have to confess your sins to me. No, friend, you can keep your sins to yourself, okay? Listen, friend, you can come directly to the Father. Why? Because you have the advocate. You have the high priest that came in your place and paid for your sin for you. And if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you can come directly to him boldly to the father now as we finish this morning i want to see one final verse and it's the reaction of the centurion look at verse number 39 <clears throat> excuse me and when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost He said, truly, this man was the Son of God. 
As Jesus' lifeless body hung on that cross, there stood a man in front of him who had witnessed the events of the day. In fact, much of the events that had taken place from the scourging to the crucifixion probably had taken place at his very behest and command. This man, a centurion, was in charge of around 80 soldiers that were charged with carrying out these acts of violence against Jesus. He had probably witnessed and been in charge of hundreds of executions. But on this day, he had witnessed something that he had never seen before. This was not just another criminal. This wasn't the crazy fanatic that some had claimed. As he watched Jesus die on the cross in front of him, he did not say, this man is indeed guilty of the sign that is above him. He is the king of the Jews. No, as he looked at Jesus, he proclaimed words that were fulfillments of a proclamation that had been given all the way back, beginning at the very beginning of the book of Mark for us. The point of this entire book that we've put up on the screen almost every single week about what this book of Mark is all about. Mark chapter number 1, verse number 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, the Son of God. Jesus Christ, when He was baptized and He came up out of that water, the Bible tells us a voice from heaven cried out and said, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. When He was on that Mount of Transfiguration, the Bible tells us that the voice cried out again and said, Thou art my beloved Son. Hear Him. Listen, and now at the end of His life, as He hangs on that cross... This Gentile centurion looks at the man that hangs before him and with a final authority declared the truth that was started all the way back in Mark chapter number 1, verse number 1. Some 60 messages ago we saw it. He looked and he said, Truly, truly this man was the Son of God. He is God. Friend, this morning as we see Christ hanging on that cross, what will be your response to Him today? Will we respond like the crowd in verse number 32? Oh, come on, do a miracle for me. If you just do a miracle, if you just do this or you just do that, then I'll believe that the Bible is true. Then I'll believe that the scriptures are right. Then I'll believe it. If you just show me this, if you just show me that. Listen, friend, if you do not believe what the Bible has already told us, another miracle's not going to do you any good. See him on the cross hanging there. See all that he has done. See that sacrifice that he made. And don't fall into the category of these chief priests, these scribes, these people as they walked by and said, Hey, show us a miracle. And then we will believe. No, friend, find yourself in the place with the centurion. As he watched Jesus Christ die on the cross right in front of him, realizing that that was the miracle. 
Jesus Christ truly being the Son of God and bowing Himself down to this earth, humbling Himself in a moment that He could have called 10,000 angels, in a moment that He could have delivered Himself from the cross, in a moment that He could have spoken the Word, and everyone right there would have been wiped out. And yes, He allowed Himself to be crucified by finite man, to die on that cross, to pay for your sin and my sins. No, friend, we don't know much about this centurion. The Bible doesn't say a whole lot about him, but I do know this. On that day, Jesus changed his life. He couldn't have left that place and been the same. When he left on that day, he realized Jesus truly was who he said he was. Jesus truly was the Son of God. And when you see Christ on the cross dying for your sins, when you hear him cry out, it is finished. It will change your eternity, yes. But it will also change your life. You see, the gospel is not a one and done thing. The gospel is the beginning of a relationship with Christ. We come to Jesus and we, we accept His gift of eternal life, the Bible tells us, by calling on the name of the Lord. We come to Him and we say, Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask you to forgive me for my sins. That is the gospel. But listen, friend, that's just the beginning. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received. And listen, and wherein ye stand. Paul said, listen, the gospel is not just a one and done thing. The gospel, yes, is what saved your soul. But it's what motivates you to live for Christ each and every day thereafter. Paul says it in Romans chapter number 1. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. No, listen, friend. The, the gospel, Christ hanging there on the cross for you and for me. Oh, yes, friend. It is for our salvation. But it is also for our motivation. From the cross we live our each and every life. Each and every day. Because of what He did for us. Our entire life should be different. You see, the problem is for most, they will allow the gospel to change their eternity, but refuse to allow it to change your life. And what a sad thing to think that we would get saved, that we would accept the gift of eternal life, that we would see Christ hanging there on the cross and accept his gift of salvation to us. And not live our lives for him every day thereafter. Oh, the gospel is just the beginning. You see, the gospel is Mark chapter number 15. The gospel is the end of these books. These first four books of the New Testament. But listen, friend, the gospel is so much more than that. You see, 
you can get saved with just a couple of verses. But this rest, the rest of this book is there for every day after. So that you can live your life for God and His glory. To teach you how to become more and more like Christ. To see the man that we have studied his life through the book of Mark. And to see the example that he was. And all that he did. And for it to affect our each and every day life. Oh, the gospel is so much more. Yes, it is eternity changing salvation. Yes, it's the greatest gift that there ever was. But listen, friend, it's so much more. It's what we motivates us to live each and every single day of our life for Christ. And what a shame it would be for us to accept salvation and refuse to allow the gospel to change our each and every day of our life. Oh, friend, would you stand before the cross with the centurion today and proclaim with him, yes, Jesus is God. He was then, and he is today. Friend, let him be more than just the God of your soul. Allow him to be the God of your life. Each and every day. Decide today not just to wake up tomorrow and to live for yourself. But decide today to live for something, someone more. To see him on the cross and his sacrifice that he gave for you. To realize as Romans 12 tells us, it's our reasonable service to live our life for him. Oh, friend, today, join the centurion. See Christ on the cross and declare truly he is the Son of God and he deserves my whole life and give it to him. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed this morning.